Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Can I say something that I think is bullshit? You're a fool, agent. Yes, we sell out. He also told me he was on acid. Yeah, you better wash that mic off. I was gonna fill it up with my own urine. Alcoholica. And I talked about digging a hole in a fucking dirt, smoking hash through the ground. Oh, I don't know. There's all kinds of shit. And shower filled with women. Sit your ass down, Lars. Shoot a pair of women's legs walking down the street. Eight women washing you down at once, you know. Come up here, Lars points to me. <laughs> And his skin is bubbling like on the Toxic Avenger. Boyfriends and dads looking for me. Ten minutes. Singing along, fucking along, doing the something to fuck along. Here we go! Hey, this is Joe Sib. And you're listening to and podcast for all with my two metal bros, Shane and Jeff. Enjoy. Welcome to a podcast for all. I'm Shane Obershaw. And I'm Jeff Winslow. Jeff, season three, episode 13. I have one question for you. And what is that, sir? Describe the documentary, Some Kind of Monster, with one word. Man, one word. That's like the the question that James gets asked. Describe (laughs) your whole career with one word. And he can't answer it. It's complete silence during that part. Um, You know, part of me wants to say, like, ego would be something that I would think of when I think of that movie. But I I would go with emotion. That would be the word to describe that. that. I'm going to go with intimate. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's as stripped down as you're going to get with those guys. I mean, that was seeing them at their most vulnerable state. And when I talk about intimate... I'm not talking about Bob Rock and Lars crashing into each other on the jet skis. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Boom. Where's that footage? Oh, great memories. Coming up on 20 years of SCOM. I think you and I have watched that on tour, oh, 478 times. Yeah. I mean, I could, you know, pretty much quote anything from that movie in about two and a half seconds flat. I'm about to shove 50 grand up your ass. <laughs> One dollar at a time. <laughs> Dude, I'm excited for today. A special guest on a podcast for all. Yeah, absolutely. As special as they get, for sure. We are going to the Bay Area to talk all things therapy, family, treatment, um, breaking up, getting back together with our favorite performance coach, therapist of all time, Mr. Phil Toll. You ever been in therapy, Shane? You ever talked to a therapist before? I've sat on a few couches and chairs and 
shared thoughts, feelings, and all the above? Me too, me too. Well, I mean, maybe he can help us get through anything that we need to get through today. I just don't know if I have 40 grand to pay him. Well, it was 40 grand a month he charged the band 20 years ago, so maybe his rate's gone up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, when you've worked with people, you know, such as uh, Metallica, uh, you've worked with, what, the Kansas City Chiefs he worked with? I mean, he's worked with some pretty big names. I'd say he knows what he's doing. Yeah, knows a little bit more than I do, that's for sure. Maybe when we have a little spat in our uh, one, the only tribute to Metallica band, we know just who to go to. I'm looking forward to this. I am too. I'm just hoping that, you know, he shows up in one of those awesome, awesome sweaters. A signature series Phil Toll sweater. I'm guessing there was probably, oh God, what do you think from the movie, 10 different sweaters we saw just in a two-hour film? Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, he had a whole array of sweaters. I mean, that's, I, I swear, at one time, I think that's all he wore. I'm surprised he didn't wear a sweater when it was Hawaiian shirt day. <laughs> when Lars didn't get the memo. Yeah. You know, if anything, Lars should have shown up in a sweater that day. Well, hopefully the D... How am I supposed to say this? Hopefully the time strikes right where we can bring up the infamous sweaters. And I want to ask him about the post-it notes. Zone it and bone it. Who didn't like those? Bob Rock. Bob Rock did not seem to like the post-it notes at all. I... I I recall a scene in the movie where he's sitting on the couch. He's got his baseball cap pulled over his eyes. I think that's when he's in the control room. Yeah, and he's got his hat down, and he's like, yeah, you know, I I don't remember the exact quote, but he's like, this is what I have a problem with right here, and he points up right behind him to the (laughs) post-it notes. Something about it. That just bugged me yesterday, and I can't can't deal with that. I'd like to ask Phil, like, was Bob really that upset about it? Or, you know, (laughs) what what was going on there, you know? What was the relationship status between Phil and Bob? Because you see a lot of interaction, you know, between the boys and Phil. But I feel like there's not not a lot between him and Bob. Not that it's not there, but there's not as much, you know, one-on-one time there. And it makes me kind of wonder what Bob was thinking the whole time. Well, we're going to find out. Very cool of Mr. Phil Toll to join us. Can't wait to dive into this. If you like what you hear, like what you're digging on in Podcast for All, please go to iTunes, leave us a review. The more five stars we get, Jeff, the uh, better chances we get at landing special guests, just like today. Yep, and if you guys like listening to those special guests, you know, these big-name people, leave us a good five-star review. It'd be much appreciated iTunes, five stars. You can do it now. You can do it while Phil's hopefully talking about sweaters to us. Season 3, episode 13. You ready to go to the Bay Area? Let's do it, man. God, being in a band, it's so different. It's so different than most people on this planet. You're in a fantasy world most of the time. People are giving you validation all the time. To still survive, you know, as as a band and as as friends and as as people. This is what bugs me about this process is that every single... Thought has to be dissected. Right now, it fucking annoys me. It's like you're hearing a fucking fuck. song for the first fucking time. You're just sitting here being a complete dick. And it's a total uphill battle for me a lot of times. I don't like that feeling. Well, that's like just like the last 15 years. Yeah. For me, for you guys have issues that you, you guys have a long list of issues you need to go through. Nothing 
catastrophic could happen from telling the truth. I mean, come on, really. Uh, there might be some consequences, but then those consequences need to be dealt with at some point, whether it's now or later on. It's always uncomfortable for me to see myself in anything, and it isn't like I'm acting, you know, because that's not what's happening there. I've always felt that we're here, you're here, let's have as few barriers between the band and the fans as possible. And so this movie is the obvious next step. If we're doing this, we're doing this. We're going to take the veil off. We're going to pull back the curtain on us. To me, it's not going to be a matter of whether the cameras are in play, but whether or not you guys are free enough to risk being seen by other people. From our favorite Bay Area, our favorite therapist and performance coach, we all know him well, <laughs> Mr. Phil Toll. Phil, how you doing, sir? Hi, guys. What's happening? How's it going today? Everything's good from the West Coast right now. We're actually opening up and... Uh, Getting a chance to go out and around and mingle, so that's good. Still, a, ma- still a mask mandate out there, Phil, or is it getting a little oh, yeah. loose? Yeah, it's, it's a mask man all the way. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, at this stage of the game, um, I'm over, uh, I'm over 39, so I need to make sure <laughs> that, that I that I cover myself well. So you're in the Bay Area from. Yeah. Um, all the Metallica fans that have watched the movie a thousand times, you you were in Kansas City. Was that originally home for you? No, uh, born and raised in the L.A. area, okay, Southern California, and then uh, moved um, up to up to the Bay Area. Well, we, first, we went to Kansas, where I went to uh, went to school at the University of Chicago, then moved to Kansas um, and set up practice in Kansas, which is kind of strange. But there was a got a fellowship in, at a famous um, mental health hospital okay. in Topeka, Kansas, and we raised our kids there and then got the Metallica call, came out to the West Coast and where I belong, right? So Back to, back to somewhat yeah, home, back, right? Back home, exactly. There you go. So a Chiefs fan or a 49ers fan? Uh, Chiefs fan, worked with the Chiefs. and uh, Okay. So I'm a Chiefs fan, and the 49ers uh, have no respect for them. I refuse to <laughs> well, be a part an of, L.A. guy. I, I, I try to tiptoe around their stadium whenever I can. Totally yes, get it. Loyal, loyal Rams all the way. Gotcha. And you've worked uh, with the Rams and the Chiefs? Yes. Yes, I did. Any other pro teams we're aware of? Uh, just with players from other teams, but with those okay. two teams consecutively, because I worked with uh, Dick Vermeil, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Oh, um, Hall of Famer. He will. I, I, I hope so. At some point. He was out of football for a while. Absolutely has to be. Great man. And um, worked with him, cold called him, and uh, that was amazing. And was able to start working with the, with the Rams. And then Vermeil with a championship decided that he was going to retire, but then was called out of retirement almost instantly sure. by the chiefs. And so, um, went to, you know, we're still living in the, in the Kansas area at that time. So went to, uh, you know, went, went to work with the chiefs for, for five years and then had, had a really good run there. And then Vermeil retired for sure. And, um, yeah. Jeff, I think Phil should work with the Vikings, and then maybe your purple team can have a chance. Uh, yeah, let's see if uh, <laughs> a, a little bit of magic can help get them to the Super Bowl finally. You know, 
Shane and I were just talking, and and we agreed that I don't even know if if Tom Brady would get them to the Super Bowl. By the time Brady would would leave the the Bucks, because he's in his you know last in the death throes of his career. Yep, and yeah, you would have sign you would have years another you would have another Kirk Cousins on your hand. Right. <laughs> Great way of saying that, Phil. Sorry, did I say that, Kirk? I apologize. <laughs> no, he's a good quarterback. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. He just isn't quite enough. Um, he teases you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Funny how that happens. I know. I know. Well, it's so good to be with you guys, and um, it's nice to be here and to reminisce about Metallica and um, what you got. Well, Phil, you worked with Q Prime in regards to another band. How far in advance were you contacted before you met Metallica, and uh, what was the first meeting like? Um, I would, I would, I was working with the Rams, and um, at the time when I got a, uh, I was contacted by a management of Rage Against the Machine. Okay, and that. As part of the work that I did with Rage Against the Machine, as they were morphing into Audio Slave, because that was the that was the crisis for them. Yes, um, I was able to have a a meeting with the management of as we were as I said morphing into um, Audio Slave. Audio Slave, the, yes. And, uh, Chris Cornell, God bless his soul. Chris Cornell yes. was leaving. Well, he was on his own, I think, at that time. Yeah, I think he had already but, left Soundgarden. Uh, yes. And so he was on his own, and Rick Rubin, the great producer, had an idea that it would be good for Chris Cornell to match up with uh, the Rage, the three Rage guys who were leaving Zach De La Roca at the time. Sure. And um, so we met, we met as a team to try to figure out the, the management of both Chris Cornell and the management of Metallica. We met together, all of us, and did a little kind of group counseling kind of thing. That's right. They were trying to figure out, uh, you know, where they could work together and what kind of name they wanted to come up with and, and which, and which uh, agency they wanted to use. And when they couldn't figure out which agency, um, the, then they later just decided they wanted to flip a coin. And wow. um, so they decided ultimately to go out on their own without either one of the respective agencies. But during that kind of counseling session that we had, the people, the management from, from Metallica apparently liked what, what we did. And they gave me a shout in about a month or two after that saying that Metallica needed some help. And Metallica had gotten to, I think what happened is they had a, a, a Playboy interview and the Playboy interviewer uh, isolated each of them, each of the guys. Right. And in isolating each of the guys, they started trashing each other. Yes. And that became obvious to the public then and to the management team that this something had to happen. So they called and asked me to come in and start working with Metallica. And um, I only knew Metallica at the time as the band that practically wrecked our family because our son was a great Metallica fan. And I, I wow. couldn't stand that stuff. I mean, I, it was like for me, for me, maybe I was too old at the time, but I, but I could not, the, the music, heavy metal, 
I mean, I, I like certain heavy metal, but I just didn't like the sound of metallic at that time, especially when it was cranked up to impossible decibel levels sure. in our house. So to, they're kind of ironic. It was payback because you know, our son obviously <laughs> deserved to, to, right? He deserved to, to, to uh, enjoy whatever music he wanted, but we also deserved some peace. So <laughs> anyway, the Metallica, so I really didn't know much about Metallica, which was fine. And um, I went to San Francisco. I was, I was flown to San Francisco from Kansas okay. and started, had the first session. Was this at HQ or the Ritz? No, it was at the it was at the Ritz and okay. at the at the Ritz. Am I rambling too much, or are you guys good? No, oh, no phenomenal. Good. Okay, cool. Okay, so just let me know because this is like a reminiscent for, reminiscence for me. So we love it. Um, thank you. So get to the I get to the I'm at the Ritz and I they they give me a suite and there are two rooms right, and so we go into the room and where everything is set up, the cameras and uh, well, the cameras went there at that time so we, we, we set up and uh jason newstead comes in and uh he was he was the last one to show up so the and first day you met the band or management was the day jason walked in that's correct okay jason walked in and said hey guys i'm leaving and sir you know his coach somebody called me right sir mm-hmm. whenever i'm called sir i'm always suspicious you just remember that shane so no, but when I'm called, sir, anyway, so it's called, they said, Hey, he said, sir, I need to talk to my bandmates. Will you please leave the room? So I went to the adjacent room where I could hear everything was going on. I, I could, I, for a moment, I just, I was trying to decide, should I leave or should I stay? Because I, I felt like there was a responsibility to be in on everything. At the same time, I wanted to respect these guys and they didn't know me from, you know, they didn't know me. Absolutely. They were the band, um, the band was, the, the, you know, the agency said, we need to have this guy come in. So they asked me to do it. And they, I guess, ordered the band to see what that, what would happen. Right. So they, we we're all getting to know each other first time. And it's minutes after we started to say hello and stuff, Jason came in and said, I, I, you know, please leave. And so I left and I went to the room that, you know, that I, where I could hear, I wasn't trying to listen in. It was just noisy and it got noisier because they started to fight. Sure. And it was, you know, it was upsetting to everybody that Jason was going to leave. And it was a sudden kind of an ambush, right? How long did but, this go on for? Um, it went on. It's hard for me to remember accurately because I was really tense about it. I, I you know, it was, it was scary for me to begin with, to go into the situation where I, it was unknown. And uh, I maybe I had lingering affects, lingering aftershocks from the, from listening to music and not particularly liking them. I don't know, but I but I it took about fifteen or twenty minutes, and um, I, I sort of thought, I thought to myself, look, this is this is crazy. I got you know this is what I'm hired for, right? So I came back in, knocked on the door, opened it up, and said, listen, now guys, I'm, this is what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a long silence, and Lars finally said, uh, let him in, you know. So then we, that's when we started. And there were, uh, there were the fights, the fight was over his leaving and, and the turmoil that, that had been accumulated over a period of time. And um, Jason had been a great uh, addition to, you know, replacement. Um, and 
addition to Metallica, but he'd been kind of fraternity hazed over a period of time because he was replacing a legend, right? Yeah, 14 years worth. I know. And so um, it was hard for everybody. And as Lars would later say, nobody's ever talked. They didn't talk about things with each other. They didn't go through feelings and thoughts with each other and process them. So this became the process point, And it was an explosion that Jason, uh, you know, had had enough. He just had enough. You know, it's sort of like he paid paid the price and had enough. So um, Cliff's absence was still you know, the, in the air and, and Jason was closing himself out. And, uh, and I was listening and trying to figure out how to swim upstream on, on this situation. By the way, Phil, Jeff and I play in a Metallica tribute band. So Jeff, I just want to tell you right now, I love you, dude. Yeah. It's I love good. you. I love you too, man. No, <laughs> bad blood here. Let's, get, let's get that on the record. It's been That's 11 right. years of just great times and I love you, dude. So when am I going to meet, when am I going to meet with the rest of the band? <laughs> Well, that's the thing is we may mimic the band very, very closely, but I, I don't know if we have quite the amount of... Um... We have small issues, Phil. We're, we're doing just fine. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad that you guys are doing it. I mean, it, you, that's a great way to, to uh, carry out the tradition, and it's a great way for you to play your own music. I think that's wonderful. We love it. Really happy. We have a lot of fun. And everybody's, everybody's grateful for being together, right? Absolutely. Most you know days. that, yes. I mean, you're gonna have days, right? Oh, absolutely. But 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 when you you know like you when you think about fame and, and fortune and how it it really uh, it's so intoxicating and how it, it it divides people because it it what it does is uh, you know it inspires a lot of ego activity, right? Absolutely. And if you're having a band, but you're playing in a band because you love to play. And that's what you do, and that's that's the most important thing. And then that you're not going to have the, as much of a chance to screw with each other. Right. Very true. So good going, guys. And and plus, you know, you know, you. I, I mean, I don't know you, but but it sounds like you're willing to, the way the two of you are interacting. You know, you share responsibility for for your, the roles you play and and uh, team up really nicely. So we'll find out though. To all the listeners out there, this is a chance to, to find out whether Jeff and Shane can work together for sure. Right? Yeah, that that's the test now. Now that it's yeah. out there, you know, we'll we'll find out. We'll see what the next decade brings. We play right. music together, we tour together, and then COVID hits. Phil, we missed each other, so we said, <laughs> "Let's start a Metallica podcast so we can see each other once a week." Did you do that really? That's yeah, pretty we much started it. Didn't. Oh my god, that's what great. was it, Jeff May? Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. You know, it's like you're yeah. out touring the country, touring the world, and it's like that just gets stripped from you, and you're like, well, what do I do with all this free time now? Yeah, that's right. Glad you guys are doing that. You know, a question I was uh, wanting to ask you, obviously working with professional football teams and then working with, you know, musicians, rock stars, what's the big difference between the two? Because obviously both are famous, but both are in completely, you know, kind of different spotlights you know you're dealing with a whole whole team coaches all of that versus you know a small collective group of guys uh, what are the challenges or you know similarities even that would go on with that we started with one of them already jeff and that is when you're uh, public in the public eye as athletes are too and pros especially uh then you you are uh, you have to wrestle with ego issues uh 
differently than than another profession necessarily. Um, although when you're when you're highly successful in other areas of life as well, the public owns you to some extent, but less so when you're entertainers, less uh, uh, and uh, and and athletes. Th those people are um, sort of psychologically owned by the public. You know, the, the public will see someone walking down the street. I know that person and they want to go up and get an autograph. Right. And yeah. that, and that famous person is, is wanting to lead a normal life. Right. Right. At that moment. Now they are people who have been um, exposed then to what fame, how fame intoxicates them. Yeah. And, and it does. Okay. Cause it's very, very hard. As Kirk said to me one time, coming off the road, he said, Phil, I'm suffering from PTSD. And I said, what, what are you talking about, Kurt? And, and he said, because I, when I come home, I have to take out the trash. Well, I, I reminded Kirk that he didn't have to take out the trash. He has a little <laughs> bit of building you know, entourage, but the, the picture is, you know, right. I mean, you get the picture. Right? Well, well, yeah, yeah. He right. comes, he comes home and now life continues. It's back to, you know, I guess, his reality you know what i mean obviously his reality is probably still a dream for most of us um well you know that's it, it is interesting i've never thought about that question quite the way you ask i mean you're posing a, a question in my mind and that is why do why do the rest of us want that kind of life um and i think to a person it's different right i mean i, I mean I, I think i wanted it at one point um and I think I wanted it because it, it just seemed like it would, I, I could relish in my mind, fantasize in my mind, the upside of that, right? The attention I would get, but never, I, I don't think anybody plans, anybody who is famous now planned what, what it was like to be famous from a place of reality. And, and that flips over real quickly into something that becomes something mostly dodge worthy, you know, Again, you want your privacy, you need your privacy, especially when you're in the public eye so, so much, right? And then you don't get it. And then you have to deal with that. And then you have to, on stage, you have to honor it. And off stage, you want it. And the, the fans are, you know, we're human, right? We don't, we don't think about separating it. We don't think about our responsibility to them either. So I'm wandering a little bit off path, but that's, but to get back to what you were saying about the difference between sports and, and entertainment, um, heavy metal probably prepared me more for sports because of there's a lot of combustibility and, you know, like edginess to both of those. Oh yeah, right? that makes sense. Right. And when I was working with Rascal Flats, the country music group, uh, it's a different kind of feel because different, kind of, but it, it still, it still has elements of what we're talking about, but it doesn't have the same kind of edginess to it. Right. And heavy metal entertainers are expected to trash hotels or were expected to do, you know, crazier <laughs> things than, than other forms of music. The typical stereotype, Phil. Yes, I know. Should I stop it, Shane? I mean, I, I, I'm sorry about the stereotypes. Right? No, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> you know, I love it. Motley Crue kind of set a standard, and you know that's Motley Crue. Wow, that's that's yeah. what it seems like. Uh, all <laughs> rock stars, you know, coming up in the eighties and nineties, they were like, well, you know, 
if you're not partying as hard as the crew and you're not throwing TVs out the windows, then you're not mm-hmm. doing it right. You, know, you need. I mean, look at there is an energy that it's really hard to burn up. I mean, when you when you go two or three hours on stage in front of eighty thousand people, and you you are high, and when you come off that high, whether you're you're aided in that or not, right? Whether you substance added to it or not, you come off the stage and you're still high. You can't, you, you know, it takes time to feeling to, of euphoria. So. Yes. Right. And, and it, and it, you put out so much of yourself in those moments, especially when you think about it, when you think about metal or thrash or, you know, those kinds of actions where there is more energy burned, if you will. I don't mean that the balladeers or something don't put, put out soul, but there's there's a lot of physicality that wears that you know that wears people out that is as well as mentally and emotionally so it becomes an intoxicant in and of itself and it is a lot of pressure a, a substantial amount of pressure sure phil were you ever one-on-one with jason after that day I can't think, Shane, that's a good question. I've never been asked that. I don't think I ever was one-on-one because Jason left okay. and then came back. And there was a there was a period of time, there were about three months before the movie crew came in. Okay. So there was a lot of work that was, the movie is a little bit hard to, you know, it's a standalone sure. brilliant piece. And that's the only thing that us fans have ever seen. So you were there for two years and we saw two hours of it. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so, J- Jason, I never got a. I really would like to have had it, uh, some time with Jason because I think he uh, somehow, uh, and I don't really remember my contribution to his confusion, my specific, the specific things that he might be. I mean, I'm sure he felt that I was part of the movement to get him out of there at some mm-hmm. some level. And I think because the timing of that coincided, and I had no. You know, obviously, no. Uh, determined. I was not a player in in their decision. They, had, it, if Jason initiated it, then I think he wanted. He was so pissed off for a lot of reasons, a lot of good reasons. Um, that when he when the band reacted and they were hurt, they they were angry back. Then it became the fight, and the fight never truly for a while. That we we finally got some of that kind of thing worked out a little bit, but but. Um, at the begin in the beginning, it was so stunning and and so threatening to everybody sure. that um, we we never could you know it was just a it was a reactive moment. Do you think that his initial idea of quitting the band? Do you think that he really legitimately wanted to quit, or do you think that he just wanted to shock them enough to where they would either change their ways or? "Quote unquote," beg him to stay. Have you ever had a fight with your wife? Where yes. You, okay. <laughs> and when you when you when when we're fighting with our spouses or significant others or good friends or whatever, um, the, it's it's hard. I think it's easy to build up the animosity and the resentment when you're feeling uncomfortable. And I think that Jason. I mean, I'm, this is not this is my secondhand knowledge, but I think that Jason coming off of cliffs reputation and the way that Cliff died so tragically and then it was so instantly a replacement for for Cliff that he became the what what they would you know the guys would say a, a whipping boy for some of their he was a way that they grieved um, 
unhealthily. And Jason, because he was so like anybody else, so uh, grateful to be a part of the band and never felt like he had quite, he could quite make it. You know, he's like, it, he was uh, hazed to the point <clears throat> where um, I think he just blew <clears throat> and sure. excuse me. And he, and he blew because he'd had enough of something. And when we have enough, enough of something, the phone call coming in. Just Hello, that's the phone ringing here. <laughs> when when we've had enough of something, then we're it's hard to go to somebody and say, "Let's sit down. Can we sit down and talk about this?" It's no. It's fuck you. It's like it's a straight head on. It's like a you know. This is what I I'm pissed off about. Yeah, yeah. And blood, so we, blood, blood, I can't even talk. The blood pressure is already through the roof. You know, right? Already. Right. So you have to. Yeah, you'd have to ride that wave out. And because that was stunning, and because the band had certain resemblance, the rest of the band had resemblance, these are these are accumulated effects. And and the fact that they never talked out, this is what Lars would say, like I referenced before, this, they've never, the, the whole band has never really, never really took the time to talk out issues that were evolving. Then this becomes an explosion. And then you have to pick up the pieces of it. I don't think he wanted to leave the band. I think he wanted to leave the the reality of what existed. And this was the only way he could start it and do something with it. That makes sense. And that triggered a whole bunch of things that, that contributed to ultimately James months later going into rehab, right? I mean, it wasn't the, the fact, the, it wasn't the exact fact, but if you look at the overarching life of Metallica, and you see that they were trashing each other in the Playboy, mag- you know, in that Playboy magazine, mm-hmm. and you and in, the, in the, that interview, and you see then that a month later they come in, or maybe two months later they come in, um, January of two thousand and one, I think, or whatever it was, and and they are they are full of there's there's this kind of animosity that Jason is acting out. He's the identified patient of the of the therapy group, so he's acting this out in the in the fighting suit. It's funny, Phil, segue right into my next question. James leaves and slams the door in the movie. I mean, that's documentary-wise. When did he really tell everyone that he was saying goodbye for a while, and did you meet with him that day? No, I was I, I was meeting with the band like every other week, I think it was, or something, okay. like in the very beginning. And, and those were all at the Ritz? And then, yeah, and then the, okay. film, the film crew came in. I can't be exact about it. Um, uh, Lars would be... You know, Lars knows every detail about everything, which is great. <laughs> he sure does. Yeah, and the 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 film crew, which was film crew, was called in. Shane, they were called in to do because the after the last couple of albums, it, they were kind of floundering a little bit. Uh, the film crew was called in to kind of jack up the public relations part of the band, right? And they were called in for they were uh, hired. Before I, I think before I started work with them, with the band, and then they were brought in after three months. And it, at the timing, I, I, I think that the timing was just kind of there is such a thing as coincidence. There's a, there's a, a the timing of the band uh, bringing in the, the film crew, then became for a different reason. It, 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 then we were already in the middle of the Jason thing, right? Right, right, right. And so. 
And then shortly thereafter, James had a meltdown. And I was in Kansas City with the Chiefs at the time. Uh, and I got the call and that that this is what had happened and, and James is going to go into rehab. Okay. Okay. I think that's the sequence. Yeah. You or Lars have any contact with him after that, or was he really gone for what the, what the documentary shows well, all being familiar with treatment centers myself and, and, the, and the Meadows is, is a great treatment center, best on the planet. I think or at least among the top, um, we, they, they have a family week. You go in for like, a period of time to say, I don't know, it's a month and a half or something. Where's the medals at? Medals in Arizona. Okay. So they, you go in and then about the third week, Shane, you have a uh, family week. Okay. So we got the, I got the families, families. Okay. We got members of the families and the band as the band family. And we all went down to the meadows for family week. And it was during the family week that we, we were able to see, you know, see James and be connected with James because they don't, once you're in a treatment center, you're pretty much isolated, right? For good when you, reasons. When you say all of you, who, who all went? Family members, uh, I, I don't want to violate certain confidences here. But I don't know. Like James's family or band yes, members? Yes, I mean, and the band, all the okay. band members. We all went down. Perfect. Okay? And... Uh, I, I believe Bob Rock went with us because he was part of the, he became the bass player of the band while sure. you know, Jason was away. And then, uh, and because Bob is such an, an amazing human being and he's part, he, he was part of the whole process. Absolutely. And such a vital part of that whole process. Uh, so we went down and we sat in on all of the therapy meetings and we participated as we would in the family. And we had meetings with the, with the staff and had time with James. And it was a very, it was a very poignant moment. And it, it was, you know, it was, um, they lost. And for me, because uh, I look back at it, of course, now being uh, as much as I was a part of the family, um, it was a, uh, it was a special moment. And it was an important moment for all of us to be, to give the support that we needed to. And, and then for us uh, guys, for us to go back and start piecing together how we were part, or they, but I'm part of it too. Right. How how we all contributed to James's going into rehab, and and even more so how you know Jason's departure, and while that was discussed early on before the James meltdown, um, the, the, you know we have to take responsibility of our one of our family members is, you know what's our part in that, right? So we spent a lot of time. That's why we continued to meet while he was in the hospital. That and the fact that we needed to keep the the growth going. We needed, you know. So it made a lot of difference then when James ultimately came back that we had always we had been working separately. So while James is away, you and Lars get to hang out in the studio and listen to new tunes while his dad says, "Delete that." <laughs> delete that yeah it's interesting that you know you say about you know with metallica and like listening to them with your son and him growing up you know and that was like i'm sure he was probably listening to the iconic metallica and then here you come in you know as part of this process for what's considered one of their most controversial albums of all time 
that album is really heavy. What were you thinking during that when you're hearing some of these demos that they're putting out and the whole writing process? Well, when I, before that, Jeff, that's a great point. And when I, I, I started listening to Metallica as I was working with them, and I got to really appreciate their music, of course, but it wasn't being cranked at a thousand you know, de decibels by my son who was trying to mess with us, right? And, you know, being a teenager. But Those damn kids. I really liked, I, I started listening, you know, and I really liked their music because I could hear it through the ears. James Hetfield is an, an amazing uh, mind, has an amazing mind, amazing artist, and a great writer. And his capacity to put together themes and words describing what he wants to say because he was the essential writer all of, you know, throughout the history of Metallica. Yep. Um, I, I grew to appreciate, you know, and, and when you, when you spend the time, I mean, I'm feeling a little melancholy right now because when you spend time with people every day, uh, the last, well, when, J, when James is away, I'm trying to think about the, again, the, the sequence, but essentially when you spend time every day, when he came back, the, was, which I think the third year I was working with him, something something along those lines. But when when you spend time every day from like eleven to to midnight, and you and you every day, okay, except for the weekends and even sometimes the weekends, you, you get to understand and appreciate who they are as people. And if you get inside of them as people, I wish we could all do that with our as as uh, fans sure. and spectators, and we could really appreciate what we were that the, you and I. You and I are talking about about the, what it does to fans. I mean, fans don't really understand what goes into the experience for them, sure. for the artists, and fans don't really understand the depth of humanity that exists behind the music. And when you uh, approach fans, fans of metal and metal musicians are expressing in extreme forms, in, in some ways, extreme forms of angst or extreme forms of... of um, wanting to be heard and wanting to hear. And and so not only did, of course, that change my mind about how, I, uh, my soul about how I approach music, but it, it's also helped me approach people differently. And it also helped me understand that um, the humanity of uh, is all the same. And getting back to what you were saying before about whether it's sports or business or whomever I'm working with, there is that universal humanity, right? Yep. We're all here on this earth to fulfill our own individual pathways and to, and to interconnect successfully with one another. We're having a great deal of difficulty doing that as a human race, right? So, so an experience like this is, uh, you know, I, I, I can't find the words right now to describe my appreciation for the opportunity to have a, a human experience with people of such influence of humanity. And when we were talking about the, you know, the, the musical portion of that, I, I, I understand what, what was being said. So there really is not a, there could be a controversial albums in the public's eye, but every piece of, of artist, artistic endeavor needs to be celebrated, if only from the standpoint of how it is a part of the creation 
sure. that produces the next of the next of the next. That's why Jeff. That's why Jeff and I, Phil, have always said St. Anger might not be the favorite with fans, but it just had to happen, and we're lucky it did. It, it did. definitely did have to happen. I'm so glad you see that. Yeah, there's some there's some fans that love it. It's actually my second favorite Metallica album of all time. I, there's something about it. I just love the emotion and just the raw intensity of it. There's, you know, it's really truly a unique special album that I feel like not enough people give it enough credit for. No. Well, that's a that's a you know because they're comparing it or they're they're comparing it to their expectations, and we really have to look at our, our not just artists our human relations and from the standpoint of how where we get where we get screwed up with other people is it starts with our expectations or our, our our definition of who they are our our, our uh, judgment about who they are and our expectations that come with it right Jeff tell your wife that. <laughs> you have expectations. I'm just me. This is Saint Anger. <laughs> no, you know that's that we we automatically go in with preconceptions, right? Sure. And the preconceptions are our responsibility. And if we offload them on somebody else, that's unfair, right? Thoughts? What do you guys think about that? That's what happens on social media in 2021, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That's another story, isn't it? That's well put. We're all trying. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Shane. We um, we see James come back. They talk about if the filming's going to continue or not, and then we understand that you guys meet for six or eight weeks before they even picked up instruments again. What was that time like? Uh, it was awkward. It was awkward because it came when James came back. He had some. He he was away ten months probably all total because he went he went through a number of processes to help himself which mm-hmm. was fine. Meantime, meanwhile, back at the ranch, everybody was, you know, anxious. And you going. saw that in the movie. I mean, I think it, Lars, it, it was there was a moment in the movie where Lars was saying, "I don't know, you know, this is will we ever have a band, you know, again?" And it's scary because then the people left behind. Even though we were working on our own shit, I mean, the, the people left behind, uh, you know, Kirk, Lars, Bob Rock. Yeah, Bob especially. Right. And all of, we were all trying to work on our own stuff, right? And that, um, that didn't go seamlessly when, when James came back. James came back and needed to uh, have a shorter day. Um, Lars had stored up a lot of, uh, you know, Kirk was kind of a meteor in the middle. You know, he's kind of the person, mm-hmm. the family member that tried to bring everybody together whenever there was a conflict. And so he had a lot of his own pain that he was handling himself. But That was very obvious throughout the entire documentary. Yeah. And so uh, what a sweet man that guy is. I mean, he's really an amazing human being uh, and a great guitar player, right? I mean, he is really outstanding. Anyway. Yeah, he's written a few good tunes. <laughs> and that was also, remember, that was the time when St. Anger came out as that was becoming the part of the process, the healing process. To leave out his riffs, to leave out his his solos um, was a, uh, it was, I think of the band's thinking, this is my perception of the thinking, but The band's thinking was, this is um, a time in the artistry, in the music world, where you're eliminating that kind of feature or you're reducing that. Oh, yeah, a lot of bands at that time weren't 
they weren't right. adding guitar solos. It was definitely the trendy thing to do in the early 2000s. The new metal um, scene had really kind of exploded, you know, with bands like Linkin Park and Limp Biscuit and all those bands. And there was not a lot of guitar solos present yes. in that type of music. But can I say something that I think is bullshit? This whole fucking solo out, you know, dates the whole thing. That's so bullshit. You know, if you put a guitar, if you don't put a guitar solo in one of these songs, that dates it to this period. And that, that cements it to a trend that's happening in music right now. And when you talk about a bunch of guys who were reeling and processing and transforming their lives individually and collectively, you're in, an, in a, more of an unstable position mentally and emotionally. And you, you want, you begin to question everything about yourself personally and professionally. So you begin to question about what you should do in an in what kind of how how your music is and what you should put in an album, right? So it doesn't have quite the flow. So so giving grace as we should right now to Saint Anger and the whole process during that time, um, they the decision making was altered. They were more influenceable from outside. So with what, like what you said, with what's going on with Limp Bizkit, Link Lincoln Park, and others is going to influence them are going to and the the artists and the, and the producers and the, the the music people are going to say this is what we need now right metallica had always owned its own music i mean it, it's like you know it's been strong enough and th this was a point of time when everything was in upheaval so you're going to get an album like saint anger where there's upheaval being and it's you're going to you're going to musically get a glimpse into the transformation which was awkward, which was uncomfortable, which was uneven. That makes sense, right? Absolutely. So, so then, so that's what Saint Anger to, to those who can listen to Saint Anger through the through that through those through those ears will hear that, and they will they will say, "Hey, that's the part of the process," like you're saying, Jeff, right? And it, and it's not uh, to be condemned, and and also the further point to reinforce what we're talking about. It's important to understand as human beings that people aren't on this earth to meet our expectations, our expectations, okay? Right. And so if we can learn to take whatever our, you know, with partnership, like in your band and your, your relationship as the guys working together and uh, our, our relationships with our significant others, if we can learn that, to, you know, the, we have a responsibility to unconditionally love and to accept the other person and persons uh, not, you know, that's oversimplified because the behavior might be really traumatic, whatever, whatever's going on, where there might be some things that we know that other person needs to change, but it's not our job to try to make them change. And so this was a whole process that was going on in the midst of James being away. And when James came back, it, it was, uh, there was a lot of tumult to try to integrate one more time. And you saw that in the film. We get to that fan appreciation day, Phil, where they had all the fans come in to, uh, to HQ. And at this point, it seems like the band agreed to have Joe and Bruce stay to film. You guys met for six or eight weeks before they play. They talk about the noon to four schedule. And then at the end of that fan appreciation day is when you guys are around the uh, dinner table in the little lunchroom there. And Lars decides to get in, in James' face with the infamous four-letter word. Was there a time when you thought everything was going to be okay? and the future was clear, and then you have that kind of moment right up until the end, was there a chance that this could just end in just a disaster? I, that's a great question. I don't think I ever thought 
consciously about it winding up in disaster. I felt there's some kind of intrinsic confidence that I had. And that's part of the part of the value of being there all the time. I, I mean, I don't think anybody in my business understands mm-hmm. what that's like. I mean, it's not once a week for 50 minutes or something like that. Right. It's like it's like every day, as I said. And so when you're in with it every day, you feel like it's going to be all right. Okay. But in those moments like that infamous scene, that had to play out. That had to play out. That was like a Jason with the band moment with because Lars had to finally vent some of what he had stored up and be able to say it. And that was not a time to try to heal it. Another thing that's important to note is you when you are doing the, the uh, coaching slash therapy and you're, you're with them that many hours a day, you pace yourself accordingly. You don't have to, you know, this is not, that's one of the, the, the things that's un, unfortunate about the, the movie. The movie doesn't show closure on anything, really. Right. Because it can. But, but, you, but when you have a fight like that, then you have then you have time to resolve it and it has to resolve itself. You can't prematurely close it for the, for the cameras. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of people who watched the movie couldn't get a, you know, couldn't put that perspective together. And I understand. They left out a lot of good stuff. Even some of the deleted scenes. Dri- yeah. Those driving are... school. Lars right. getting angry about missing out on Hawaiian shirt day. I mean, <laughs> that's some great stuff. You're absolutely right. The important stuff was left out. Real quickly, I have to really interfere Interfere here. We're talking about Hawaiian shirts. Phil, I'm very disappointed you're not wearing a signature series Phil Toll sweater. I want you to know, Shane, it crossed my friggin' mind. It really did. I'm glad you thought about it. But then I thought, lot. look at, no, here's how I thought. I thought, what good is it going to do when we can't, then they can't see me, right? I mean, you guys could see me. That That would, yeah. The signature sweaters, I promise you, are still in the closet. That would right. that would have made our year if you showed up with that famous sweater. You know that's so funny. That, that's yeah, thank you. I, you know, I'm sorry. Maybe maybe someday we'll go. We'll do it. A film. You know, we'll do a. Uh, we'll do something live, and, and I'll I'll do that. But you know, that's isn't that what we talk about? We talk about social media and stuff like that. Yeah, about what people think. There's hashtags about your sweaters. I know. I mean, what was that all about? I never even thought, I mean, that never, you know. Your sweaters are famous in themselves. There's probably, there's probably social media pages that are just dedicated to the sweaters. And I, and I think it's about time, Jeff, that I can make some cash out of that. Don't you think I should be able to, you want to represent me, you'd be my agent. And so we can, we can sell those sweaters. We can do a bidding auction. Yeah. Sweaters incorporated. (laughs) We're, we're, you know, we're going to make your own signature line of sweaters. It's going to be huge. Forget I think what's 40- going to happen. Sorry, Shane, go. Forget the 40000 a month. We can make 40000 per sweater. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, it, that's, and, you know, the collectibles, think about that. I think what would happen, it would be like Disco, disco Day in, at Comiskey Park. Yes. Would, there would be a burning of all my sweaters. Right? right. Oh. <laughs> no, I'd love it. Uh, <laughs> Some of the festivals Metallica's had, like the Orion Festivals and the 30th anniversaries at the Fillmore, they have these museums of past gear, equipment. Uh, oh, that's good. Doris, Lady Justice, some Why old, not some old drum kits. They need to have an entire Filtol signature series 
uh, yeah, get on of, it. of the museum. Can, can we get, get, can on we get a sweater in a you know big frame? Frame it on the wall. We put it in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame museum next to Metallica. And I, without question, Jeff, you're on it. Let me know how it works. You got ten percent, twenty five percent, fifty percent, even better. Talk about making a deal on the spot. Thanks to video conferencing, what have we become? Yeah, you know, there we go. Handshake. <laughs> you got it. That's right. Elbow. Elbow. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Yeah, it's 2021. Phil, towards the end of the, the uh, documentary, I'm assuming this had to do with you. Lars and Dave Mustaine sit down for a one-on-one chat, and, and you're there to watch it. Yeah. I don't remember when, when it, it happened, but yes, I was there. And that was a really good healing moment. Again, if you saw from the, the it, healing, as you know, I mean, from your own personal experiences, doesn't often happen like this. It doesn't. Yes, it, right. it, it's so it was the beginning of their communication that allowed them to reconnect. And and there was some there was some pain in that one, right? It was horribly painful for especially who, for Dave. Who wanted that meeting? Was it you or Lars? I, I I have to give credit. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I, I said something about it because I, you know, obviously was there. But I, I you know, I think it was the combination of, of Dave and Lars wanting it. I, that's all. That's the best way to put it. How much of that scene or that conversation is not portrayed in the movie? I don't think it was the whole thing because it was probably a lot. You know, we probably filled up a couple of hours, right? Right. Right. But I think it was well captured. Sanofsky and Berlinger did a great job in that movie. That's phenomenal. Of editing, because you can't, you can't, it's two hours, like you were saying. It's like, I don't know, it was 2,000 hours maybe, two, two or three years of, of uh, filming. And you can't, you know, edit that. I mean, how can you edit that? This yes. is amazing. Maybe those scenes will be in the uh, St. Anger box set, Jeff. 2,000-hour DVD. <laughs> yeah, you know. We're and we'll see a lot more of Phil's sweater. a sweater. Right. Yeah. With a sweater. If nothing else, there's right. a piece of sweater, you know, it'll come with, you know. Some hey, fabric cubes. comes in the box. Cubes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right. That even, that's like that's like sod from a ballpark, right? Or, yeah, or like a, 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 jersey, like a jersey card, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. We can get Metallica oh trading you cards. Guys are we'll, amazing. We'll get a Phil trading card, and it'll, instead of That'll having a jersey, I'll have a piece of sweater. That box set. That is, uh, you know, that's super, guys. Oh, this is great. Phil, towards the end, obviously, your services aren't needed anymore. They say, you know, can we sack Phil? You're at the you're at the dining room table, and you say you guys don't need me, and I'm good with that. How did it, how did that relationship kind of wind down when they when they felt it was time to move on? Well, it, I wasn't good with that, then, but and that's it was it was very it's a very um, let me let me try to get my feelings into it where I was. I, I had met with um, a, the point person of the band, and I'll leave that open to you. you can figure that out. Sure, the, and. The point person said, we want you to, a few months earlier, they said, we want to go, we want to cut, cut. Okay. And I said, okay. And we, and we, we got, so we, I thought we were in a pretty good place. This was maybe, may I'd say maybe six months earlier, maybe a little bit before that. Okay. And so, and then, so I was getting ready to, to wind it down. And then I get a call saying, no, you got to come back. Okay, so we had talked intermittently about when, 
or not when it was time to wrap up. But the when I six months later, when that when this was the person came to me and said, I, I think we I talked to this person and said, look, it's time. You know, what, what are we going to do? We're going to go on tour and go to Europe. OK. And we were doing some short, small, we we're doing some small gigs and in little uh, joints around San Francisco to try to get the feel of working together again, because it's scary, right? To go back on the road and especially to face a whole bunch of people. The Fillmore and uh, chemos. Yes, exactly. And so we, the, the word at that point was, no, we want you around because it's really important. At some point they talked independently with each other, which is fine. And they decided not to. And I, and I knew that there were, um, there was one relationship that was shaky, meaning family relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and I knew also that from my perspective, just my perspective, which is only my perspective, right? That we needed to test ourselves in Europe. All right. So I was very awkward when it was presented to me in front of the camera. I, I handled that very poorly. I mean, I was very, I was very self-centered and self-focused at that point and disappointed and pissed off. And I didn't, I tried to navigate that. Normal feelings. Yeah, sure. And I tried to, I tried to navigate that so that nobody else would be, you know, subject. I, I didn't want them to fight over it. I, 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 would, I didn't want to take the hit, but I also didn't want them to have, if they had an agreement with each other, that was better about anything that they would agree with than it would be whether one of us, including myself, was um, had an alien position. So I blundered my way through that and um, and it turned out fine. I mean, what, what happened is then I went with them to Europe and we kind of closed that down and then I did some work and then I did some work next year with them after that. And that was um, just as a follow up. So that summer of 03 into 04, you were still pretty much full time with them. Not full time with them. No, after the, after we ended that, we, we could see that where that ending was, okay. I was brought back to do some, some things that were related to that, but okay. not, not as a, as a full time band uh, coach. Do you keep in touch with any of them today? I was literally just about to ask. Them. Yeah, I, I, I don't see them as a band. And, and I see a, one of the parties and, and have some connection, pretty active connection in that family. Awesome. And um, have nothing but, you know, great, great respect. I mean, it was personally life-changing. If you think about it, at the, as I get into the emotion of that, uh, I'll never ever have anything like that ever again. And it changed the way it changed me in so many different ways. And it, in terms of my work directly with clients, um, I, I don't, I still operate. This is my office here, if you will. And of course everything is zoom now, but, but I, I've always done everything I can from that point forward to go out to where people are and, and meet with them on their turf. Because as you would expect, on their turf, you get the unsanitized version. You're riding in the car with them. You're, you're at their houses. Uh, you are um, 
in, in the middle of family issues that are, that are them at their most vulnerable state. Exactly. And think about it. You're right, Jeff. I mean, think about the therapy process when I was doing psychotherapy. Someone comes in once a week, generally speaking, and they spend 45, 50 minutes. And I'm not saying it's sanitized, but I am saying it's presented and sometimes posed um, because that's human nature, you know. But if I'm in the, like you're saying, Jeff, if I'm in the middle, if I'm in the middle of where they are, and if something is happening, that's undeniable, you know. And you get a, a get a fresher and a richer perspective. That and the fact that it that means I can intervene in that moment with them, real time. Yeah. And real time is when we can absorb the we can absorb the event and, and work with it differently than, than if I'm reporting or being reported to. Sure. Sure. It makes sense. Thoughts. It totally makes sense. I think that's awesome that, you know, you you're in that position to where you can, you know, meet up with, you know, the, the patients, these artists, these, you know, these people. And you, like you said, you can come to their home turf and you can see exactly who they really are. There's no kind of like, you know, there's no wall up there because, you know, if they're at their own home, they're not going to be someone else in their own home. Yes. yes. Do you still use the infamous uh, Bob Rock angered uh, zone it slogan with any other? Because <laughs> that I know would, that. You know, no. But, you know, but you, see that, you see that in the movie and it's, this is what I have a problem with right here. And he points up right behind him to the post-it notes. <laughs> yeah. That was, a, that was a, thank you for bringing me back. To you know some of these these times you guys you guys you guys know Metallica from a different perspective but you know them well and you and you also know you know you you really dissected the movie and and you know some of the stuff oh for, um, between Jeff and I we've watched that five hundred times on the road wow. you know so what what is it you want to ask me but you're afraid to ask wow. I, I'm just throwing that out I'm just I'm, I'm I just that just came off the top of here's me. here's free reign to anything yeah. um. That's how much I trust you. I appreciate it. This, this, I appreciate the. I do uh, have one. Ahead, I Jeff. do have one question. I don't know how, uh, like, I don't know how deep of a question it is, but I am. I've always been curious because there is the deleted scene where Lars offers Bob Rock the base position. Was that? Did he really do that, or was that just? Was that just a fake thing? Like, was he just joking? Like, oh, Bob, you want to be in the band type of thing? Or were they for a split second possibly actually considering asking him to join Metallica? Well, my understanding of it is that he joined Metallica as the bass player for that whole Well, process. yeah, for that time, right, that right. time period. And so that he, like he was theoretically in the band, you know, in, yeah. that, in that period of time. Fair enough. I don't think that's very, that wasn't a very exciting answer. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think there's anything, I don't think there was anything secretive about it. It just became clear that there had to be something, there had to be somebody on the album, right? right. And Bob plays the bass and they weren't ready yet to replace Jason. They have really had worked through all this stuff and they didn't know where the band was going or if it was going. So I think that was a, a, a tactical move to, to, produce, to, to be a part of the album, you know, to make the album better. 
Hey, and that's a good answer for me because, like I said, I know I've had plenty of discussions with other people before, and we're like, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure like Lars was just joking around. That's not like an actual thing. And then some people are like, well, no, I think he might have actually been, you know. So I was just, you know, curious if there was any kind of. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember anything that was outstanding about it. It seemed like a natural thing to happen. We're right, all right. grateful because Bob um, could do that, he could do the job. Mm hmm. Fill my one question. He'll be like, Lars, let me choose my words carefully here. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like uh, for Rob joining the band during so much uncertainty, turmoil, uh, unknowns? And he, I mean, you have Kirk, Lars, and James, some of the biggest household names in, in heavy yeah. metal around the world, and a lot of people didn't know who Rob was. How did How did that play out? Well, you know, they did a lot of auditions, right? There were a handful of people that they brought in, and uh, they they were they did a good job of due diligence. And I think Rob is first of all a mature man, and he, you know, he knew what he was getting into um, as much as anybody can know what they're getting into in that situation, which is what you're saying. Um, he'd been around, you know. He, he's had some. He'd had some experience with Ozzy and. And so I think a couple other bands. I Black Label Society. Yes. Okay. So, so he's, he's, he, yes. So he's had, you know, he, he knew his way around. Okay. Sure. And he's, he came in and I think I've read since then that he felt like he was, uh, he was a, a, a someone that could help keep the band together. And, and I think he's right. So they, they picked him because he's really good as a bass player, but I think they picked him as a human being because they sensed, and they were far enough along in terms of their own evolution as human beings and as a band, mm -hmm. maturity-wise, that they that they knew they needed somebody like that as a personality. They did not need to to um, to, to and this would be all unconscious. They 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 didn't need to bring in somebody that was going to stir up more. No, right. They need someone relatively stable. And so he he knew this. He knew the he, the audition went well. And he was, I, I met with him and we talked and he was very, to me, he was very, um, uh, he was like the ideal fit. I, I had no way of measuring that musically. He just the ideal fit as a person because of, of his maturity, as a perspective and his humility, great, you know, humble human being, a, a well put together human being. And that shows very well to us fans that, you know, obviously have no idea who he really is. Yeah. Shows very well. Yeah. And he, he's egoless in that sense. Yes. Because you're right. I mean, if, if there if it was a competing ego here, you know, everybody was kind of humble for this whole experience, but, but appropriately, right? James, would, you know, what a transformation he had to make. My God. Huge. And, and, and then everybody pretty much recognized and they're still recognizing, you know, you get, you're still, they're still there, you know, Lars was very kind recently to talk about my role in the band. And it came out in, I think, Rolling Stone or Kerrang! or some of that thing. And so everybody's still processing. You're giving me a chance to process it. And I appreciate that because it's something, again, it's something that it's once in a lifetime kind of experience. So when somebody, you know, you can understand what it's like for Rob Trujillo to, to join that band or anybody to join that band. But he had a certain level of maturity and experience, I think, that lend itself to the, the timing. If there's spiritual intervention, and I believe that there's not divine intervention in our lives, then, I mean, there's reason why we're together today, right? 
and I appreciate that, then then that was a, certainly a factor. Very well put. That I was going to say, that's a great answer. Thanks. As we wrap this up, Phil, I mean, you talked about life changing yourself and how it's changed your practice, probably changed your family life. You moved to the Bay Area of, of all things. As we hear, you know, coming on 20 years now, Kirk and Lars repeatedly say, if it wasn't for Phil Toll, Metallica would not be here today. That's That's got to be like the crowning pinnacle award that you could ever hear in, in, in your line of work. You're absolutely right. And um, because it was, as you guys already know, and you know it better than I do, watching the film and all the things that you, that, the way that you've been invested in the, these people, these wonderful human beings, that it, the impact of it, the, the ego part of it is reassuring, but at the, I believe I'm a deeper, more evolved human being at this particular point in time. So what I do appreciate is the kind of quality experience I, I was allowed to have. Um, you never, I, I, I can't imagine in my field, anybody ever doing this at this kind of level of depth, unless you want to look at Brian Wilson's situation with his, with his therapist. And I would cut him some slack because I would cut myself some slack with, you know, it's a little bit, it was a different generation, Sure. but, but I, but I feel like, uh, to be able to be a part of the depth of experience is just taught me how to appreciate intimacy and how, you know, my wife and I have been together for five, 55, going on 56 years. And Congrats. to know yeah, her, to, to know, thank you, to know her today, I love her today more than I loved her yesterday, if you will, or to, to know, to get to know somebody and to continue to peel off layers, to continue to grow myself as a man. But, you know, the experience of everyday work and everyday being thrown into the unknown, because we didn't know what we were going to do, all of us, you know, I mean, as a band and everybody. And they gave me so much of an opportunity to learn about myself, uh, the things that I needed to continue to grow. Um, I'm a, you know, I think a more balanced man, a more mature man. And I think that they, uh, and a more spiritual man. And, and they, who they are, I'm not aggrandizing them here. They, they as a person, as human beings, you know, you can't, it's too easy, to, as we were talking about, to offer judgment as a shortcut to how to fellow human beings. This person, I, I judge this person as a way to protect myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm less, certainly I'm more judgment free and, and I, am, um, I am able to see who the, the depth of, of those individuals. And I'm so, continually impressed with how they continue to grow and evolve and who they are as human beings. One of the things I know that they're doing now is they're working out physically. They've been working out to keep in shape and, and to enhance their longevity. They're taking care of themselves. They're talking. Um, Good to hear. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I just, I can't put to words quite how much I think you can just feel you can just feel my energy right and and, and know how much I appreciate that experience oh yeah it's it it's was very yeah. genuine thank you thank you I like how it's come full circle Phil your life changed because of your son driving you nuts listening to kill them all <laughs> your life changed and then you changed <laughs> the band that he was listening to you changed their lives thank I mean, you I I contributed it, to their change thanks Jeff 
Absolutely. Yeah. And we, it you know, was done together. That's you're an incredible I mean. therapist and even more incredible human being. And I'll oh, tell thank you, what, you absolutely. And I'll tell you what, if, if one ever has banned turmoil, I know who I'm calling <laughs> first because man, I'm going to take so much away from this episode we've done just on a personal level, just speaking to you. Like I, I really feel thank you. just talking about Metallica and just like hearing, you know, hearing what you're saying about them and as people and just like, you know, these real life, you know, situations and, and obstacles. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to take away a lot from this episode because it was truly amazing and inspiring just to hear you speak on these things. Totally so agree. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. And Jeff, thank you for characterizing it that way. And this is how I would do if you were my clients. Okay. I would ask you, and let's do this right now for each other. Uh, what is it your, what's your takeaway from, from today, Jeff? I mean, what, what is it that top of the list, you know, thing that you want to take away for, for, for Jeff? He wants to yell fuck into my face at the dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, exactly. Right. For, for me, don't, don't call me when he does. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I got your number, Phil. We'll make sure we have the cameras rolling so we can just send the clip on over. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, you know, I personally, I take away from this that, um, our, our idols, the people we look up to, they are a lot more real and transparent than we really realize. And that I feel like us as humans, we need to open our eyes a little bit more to, to what's going on in their lives. You know, like you were, you were speaking on, you know, us as fans, you know, we get this very kind of almost one-sided view of how we see our idols. You know, you see them walking down the street. And of course, your first thought is let's run up and get a picture. Let's get an autograph. But I feel like this conversation is, it, it makes you really realize how real everyone is, you know? And, and my takeaway is that I feel like just as humans in general, whether it's someone who is famous and in the spotlight or is just an average Joe Schmo off the street, we're all human. We all have emotions. We all bleed the same color. You know what I mean? And I feel like we need to remember that when it comes to who we look up to and, you know, and all of that. Cause at the end of the day, they're still people just like us. They yeah. still have emotions just like you and I do. Thank you. That's so nice. Appreciate that. Shane, what about, what about you, man? I'm kind of down the same Avenue. We're kind of keeping, keeping in check that we're all human here. In a, in a collaboration, whether it's Metallica or a, a small tribute band to Metallica, there, there's four people that are four different humans with four different personalities, four different opinions, four different uh, work ethics, four different uh, ideas, uh, political opinions. And at the end of the day, when you can come together and make that work, understanding that there's four totally different people on this team. That's the most important to me. Absolutely. I agree. I feel like Shane and I are going to look at our own band and everything good and bad. I feel like after this, we will look at our band a little bit differently. You know what I mean? Aww. I don't know. Just like he said, you know, there's four different guys and just realizing that, Hey, we're different people, but we're all here for, Kind of the same thing. Thank you, guys. You touched me with the way you said that, each of you. And I'm, I'm, I want to. What I want to say is, um, 
to add to what you're what you're talking about, uh, you remind me of this: that um, our society gets wrapped up in comparisons. This is part of like the judgment thing that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We get wrapped up in comparisons, and we get wrapped up in in uh, grading levels of human being. Okay, and so. When you when you're talking about a tribute band, Shane, you know it's like the what you what you all are doing. I, I would wish for you, for the four of you, right? Four of you, right? Yes. That you would see yourselves as contributing. Great. At, at, see this. I mean, you can't even say without comparison. Contributing as greatly as Metallica is and has. Okay, because the the, the it's very very true for me spiritually to know that a moment like this that we are having together that will be also shared with other people mm-hmm. is touching lives in its own way as much as any other experience that we're having that is treated as more grand or, or on, a, on a more grand scale. So what I'm, what like you're talking about, Jeff, in a moment of time, a kindness or a, a gesture of love to a fellow human being is changing the world. It's changing the vibration on the planet. And so what the tribute band is doing, what you guys do as individuals, what you do on this show and the kindness, I mean, you guys are great at what you do. And one of one of the things that makes it great from my perspective is the genuine nature of how you treat me as a guest. Okay. It's like that you're, you're genuinely interested and it's not like you're trying to, push something out there. You're not trying to set something up. You're just interested in, 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 in a, uh, make, uh, a significant dialogue, which I think Absolutely. I hope we have, right? Mm-hmm. And so in your lives going forward, the tribute band, when the next the next gig you have, make sure, well, the next time you meet, make sure that you share with each other the importance of, of take a moment of love and self-respect, go around the horn and, and ask each other, what do you, what do you really appreciate about the other? Try to continue to build that and and remind each other that this this is a full time passion that you're doing, okay? Right. And it is a changing. It is it is keeping music alive and it is generating the connection between the message Metallica is offering offering through the messengers you guys, mm-hmm. okay? And it becomes your music and their music, the listeners, when you play a gig. That's incredible. I really appreciate that because that's very kind words. And yeah, that's, that's truly amazing. Just the way you put that. Thank you. Uh, Because my, my higher, my higher power values this moment as a standalone moment that we're having, you know, and I, and I'm so grateful that you guys reached out to me. It was a lot of fun. It was, thank you. Thank you. It became more than, you know, I thought maybe we, we would, um, I would be more of a, in a laughing, a playful mood, but I, but I really was more. Uh, it was very healing, and it was more of a melancholy thing for me. And a very, it, it helped me zero in on how we're wrapping this up now. The importance of human beings connecting with human beings that became more important to me than than joking about it. I love it. And maybe we'll maybe we'll do some more. Of, maybe we'll do another round. So let hey, me know. We would love to have that happen. We would love to get you out to a show where we tour all around the country. We're on the West coast, you know, and we would great. love to great. Get me you know. out to a show sometime. That would be great. That, that, I'd love to at least get the invite. 
Phil, yes, hey, Phil, thank you so much. In addition to your signature series that you and Jeff are going to sell soon. Yes, yes. I think there should be a uh, a PT signature post-it note so you can write zone it and bone it and put it on Jeff's amp when you watch it. <laughs> I like zone it and bone it. <laughs> yeah, there You're we right. go. You know, and if, if you come out to a show, I'll make sure that my guitar player and I, one will say zone it and one will say bone it. We'll put it on each side. Or loan it. Or you could loan it too. That's true. Loan it. Yeah, there you go. Right? You could do all that. Between the sweaters and the post-it notes, I think you guys are onto something. Thrown it. <laughs> I think right? we're onto something, Phil. <laughs> Stone it. There we go. Okay. Well, Phil, again, thanks for everything. Thanks for coming on the show. Hopefully we can keep in touch and uh, maybe cross paths in the Bay Area soon. Shane, thanks so much. Jeff, pleasure, you guys. A lot Absolutely. of fun. And thank you for helping me work my way through some stuff. Here. It was great. Appreciate it. Nice melancholy experience. We appreciate it, Phil. Thank you so much. Got it, guys. Talk to you soon. Phil came into our lives as a professional, became more of a friend, more of a confidant. I do think that he gets a, a little bit of a, a rough break out of it. We pay him $40,000 a month to be pretty much available at our back and call. I'm afraid he's under the impression that he's like in the band, you know? Yeah. Fair enough. He overstayed his welcome. He may even acknowledge that. He's sort of the villain the bad guy in the movie and all those sweaters and all this I believe that um, he prevented the band from breaking up I believe he saved the band it is the journey that we're on and you know at the end of some kind of monster when we're on stage and that moment the goosebumps that appear from that it's like you know what no matter what's going on in your life no matter how much resentment you have for somebody or how much darkness is in your soul that you think you have, you can you can get through it. You can overcome it. And you can stand on that stage or whatever it is in your life and let people love you back and, and just for exactly who you are.